This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It bothers me in the way that, you know, I think that my leaders before me, like my great-grandfather who lived there, who was the leader of the people at that time, and I could just, I could just imagine him not believing that all of that 26 miles on the river was going to go underwater. Welcome to Range, Stories of the New American West. I'm Amy Westervelt, and I'm here today with a guest reporter, Tay Wiles, who's based in Oakland, California. Thanks, Amy. That was Colleen Sisk, chief of the Winnenum-Wintu tribe. She's at the center of a story currently unfolding 300 miles north of San Francisco that's in some ways a replay of her past. In the 1940s, when her great-grandfather was chief, the Federal Bureau of Reclamation built Shasta Dam, which flooded Winnenum villages and forced them to move. And now the government hopes to enlarge the dam, which would permanently flood more ancestral land and sacred sites. Sisk is fighting to stop that from happening. And I first heard about all this when I reported a story earlier this year for High Country News about the Interior Department moving ahead with old plans to heighten Shasta Dam. But I hadn't really gotten a look inside the Winnenum's perspective on all this until now. I read a lot of like water rights and dam stories, and there's always kind of like a, a nod to Native American um, viewpoints on it. But it's like, like, I feel like not that many get that far in depth of like, really what the history is. And, and this whole thing of like that, you know, her great grandfather went through the exact same thing, you know, in the 40s is so crazy. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's really fascinating yeah. piece of history and like current politics. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what is this annual event that they're doing to, to bring attention to it? Yeah, they've been doing this annual event called Run for Salmon, and they call it a prayer journey. It's this 300 mile trek on foot and motorboats and bikes and on horseback and kayaks from basically the mouth of the Sacramento River down near the San Francisco Bay um, north to Shasta Lake to send out prayers and to raise awareness about their fight. It's meant to be a spiritual journey to stop the dam heightening and also to bring back um, their nearly extinct salmon. It bothers me in the way that, you know, I think that my leaders before me, like my great-grandfather who lived there, who was the leader of the people at that time, I could just imagine him not believing that all of that 26 miles on the river was going to go underwater. How could he even imagine that? Now we're facing this flooding for a second time. As much as the Winnenum's fight is about land, it's also about salmon. Uh, the Winnenum are trying to save endangered winter-run Chinook in the northern tributaries of the Sacramento River. They're pushing for proposals to build swimways around the massive dam to help salmon reach their original spawning grounds. And Shasta Dam is mm. part of what led to the destruction of California native salmon runs in the first place. So the Winnenum say they need to stop the dam from being enlarged if they want to have a chance at restoring the fish. That's so interesting. I wonder how many people even know, like... <laughs> That there is California native salmon because they've been, you know, they've kind of been gone for so long. 
Yeah, I mean, I I I think that's a really incre- interesting question because when you get up into you know Oregon and Washington and Alaska, it becomes more obvious. But yeah, there used to be just rivers full of salmon down here in Northern yeah, California as yeah. well. Okay, so how did you get involved in the the run for salmon this year? Where I came in was um, over two weeks this September as the Winnenem were leading their third run for salmon. Um, so to learn more about this annual event, I t- tagged along with a group uh, at a couple stops along the way. The first was in Vallejo, California for an opening ceremony. And here's Colleen Sisk that day. My name is Colleen Sisk. I'm the chief of the Winnemum Wintu people from the McLeod River to Mount Shasta watershed. And we're here bringing our ceremony for salmon, run for salmon and in an effort to wake the people up to what's happening to the water systems here in California and also to um, restore our salmon. The opening ceremony for Run for Salmon was a gathering of over 100 people, I think mostly from Northern California, but many from other parts of the state and even other parts of the country. And they had traveled here to be part of this journey. That first gathering took place in Glen Cove Waterfront Park. It sits along the shoreline of Carquinez Strait. That's where the state's two main river systems, the Sacramento and the San Joaquin, flow into the San Pablo Bay, which moves into the San Francisco Bay and eventually the Pacific Ocean. It's the same way that salmon come and go from the ocean inland, at least the small populations that are left around here. The spot of land that we were on was maybe 100 yards from a parking lot. It was sort of a grassy clearing with the housing development above us on one side and the water's edge on the other. And across the strait, we could see beautiful rolling green hills and a bridge taking Interstate 80 down to Richmond. And in the interviews you'll hear in the story, you can also hear planes flying overhead and a train (laughs) chugging by across the water. And there was a lot of wind that day, so just a heads up. So Glen Cove Park used to be Ohlone land before European settlement in the 19th century. And at Run for Salmon's opening ceremony, I talked with an Ohlone spokeswoman, Karina Gould, who was there. And like many people I interviewed along the way, Gould's explanation of what was happening in real time at the event went hand in hand with historical context and this acute sense of place. My name is Karina Gould. I am the spokesperson for the Confederated Villages of Lashan, and many people know us as Ohlone. I'm from the East Bay, um, part of the Ohlone people. There are actually eight different nations of languages and eight different creation stories, and our songs and dances are different. Um, But folks kind of called us all the same. So today we're here at one of our sacred village sites called Segorate, along the Carquina Strait in what's now called Vallejo, California. At that opening ceremony, it was immediately clear to me that this was a Winnenib-led event, but was definitely not just members of the tribe. So the tribe's own fight to keep its culture and restore a former ecosystem brought together a somewhat eclectic group. I interviewed a handful of younger activists who weren't Winnenib, but were there to support the cause, and each had come for their own reasons. First, here's Darius Gardner from Los Angeles. Uh, My name is Darius. I'm from Los Angeles, California, and... I'm here, um, I actually heard about it through a friend, and this is my first time doing something like this. Um, it just sounded like a, you know, a cause to come out and you know, be a part of and kind of stand for. I thought this was so interesting, actually, like that this guy had driven up all the way from LA to, like, for this event. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really interesting. And um, there were actually a few people from Los Angeles. He had come with a friend. Um, I think he and, and um, 
Shira Barlas knew each other. So I think they were kind of there Mm -hmm. together. Um, There was also Atea Sespooch, a University of California, Berkeley PhD student in environmental science, policy and management. And she had just moved to the Bay Area. Uh, My name is Atea Sespooch. I recently moved to the Bay Area um, from Utah. Uh, from the Northern Ute uh, Indian Reservation, which is where I lived and worked. Um, And I'm here um, because I heard about this event and because I'm new to this area, I wanted to support the local tribes here and, you know, lay down prayers and respect their lands. And here's Shira Barless, a community organizer from LA with her own unique story. I'm also here um, as a physical representation for um, my best friend, Colton Jones, who um, suffered from an asthma attack last year from the fires up here up north, um, and he's currently still in a vegetative state. It's been 11 months, um, and the last thing that we listened to together was a podcast by Chief Colleen Sisk um, talking about the run for salmon, and a few days before his incident happened, and he said, you know, I'm going to do the run for salmon one year. And I said, okay, brother, for sure. And um, then days later, he ended up passing over for an hour they brought him back to life and he's been resting in this vegetative state and um, it's been quite a journey over the past 11 months for me and my community and I feel that going on this is is a way for me to spiritually connect back to him and his passion for um, indigenous rights for the protection of the land and the protection of the water. For Sisk, this story begins with the tribe's relationship to the McLeod River, which flows from Mount Shasta into the Sacramento. According to Winnenham creation story, the tribe has been there forever. Carbon dating says at least 6,000 years. Either way, it makes the 80 years since Shasta Dam was built look like a drop in the bucket, historically speaking. Sisk says that the Winnenham's relationship to the salmon that once spawned in the McLeod is at the heart of this story. The fish were a dietary staple for her people, but there's There's an equally important spiritual element that she often talks about. We speak for salmon. You know, they gave us their voice. We have obligations and and for the gifts of salmon. And so we have a close uh, relationship, both in the physical sense of them taking care of us and in the spiritual sense that they gave us their voice and now we speak for them all the time. So whatever happens to the salmon happens to us. You know, when we look around and we say, you know, we used to be 20,000 on the river, on that watershed. By 1910, there was only 395 of us left. So we only have like 126 members of Winnemum people now. And so if the salmon are extinct, we can guess that so will we be. If our children and our grandchildren are called themselves Winnemum, then we have to win this. Otherwise, we're just California Indians. We're just citizens of California. You know, no, no real direction because of the losses that we've, we've suffered. My name is Pom Tahatol Tuamiali. I'm from the Winamawintu tribe, and we're here to say our prayers for the salmon returns to the McLeod River. That's Sisk's 
son. He introduced himself with his winonym name, which he recently started using instead of his English one that many people know him by, Michael Preston. He was one of several winonym who performed traditional dances that day at Sigorite. I caught up with him afterwards and asked him about the dances. We did our permission dance, which is to say our opening prayers for the spirits of the land and to communicate with the salmon, to let them know that we're here and we're coming in a good way. And then after that, we did our war dance, which is fighting for the salmon's return and fighting for our traditional way of, of life to continue. And, and also, it's, a, it's not just a war dance, it's a blessing dance at the same time. It's kind of hard to explain. I don't know if war is necessarily the correct word, but it's definitely a... Um, a, st a stance that we are taking in opposition to any kind of dams, any kind of attractive industry, and anything blocking the salmon's return. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. picture I got of what her motivations are. In that clip we just heard, I was interviewing her over the phone. She was talking about how the US government forcibly took her grandparents, parents, and relatives of those generations when they were children from where they lived on the McLeod and sent them to Indian boarding schools in Southern California. Sisk's grandmother and some of her other relatives ran away from the schools and returned home. But some of them came back after Shasta Dam had flooded the area and their former homes were underwater. And she told me that others returned after fighting overseas in World War II to find the same thing. Just a note to explain the illegal aliens she mentions are the undocumented immigrant families that the Federal Customs and Border Protection began separating earlier this year, if apprehended at the U.S.-Mexico border. And that separation or quote-unquote zero tolerance policy has been hugely controversial. 
I just did a bunch of research on the like the separation of families and the Indian boarding school thing and then like the the Indian adoption period that that kind of followed right on the heels of the closing of the boarding schools and like it's just it's crazy. I interviewed a public health researcher who grew up on the Flathead Reservation in Montana and she works in California now on native health issues. And she was like, just sort of matter of factly, she's like, oh yeah, like the the tribes that have, the tribes that are like the most well-adjusted now that have the least kind of, or like that have the lowest incidence of behavioral health and like mental health issues are the ones that were in geographic locations where they could easily hide their kids. And I was just like, oh my God, it's like, it's such a like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so crazy. That's well, it's crazy. Also like, it's like two generations of people, you know, and like, um, mm-hmm. and, and in a lot of cases, like if they did return home, it was after like 15 plus years of being, you know, abused and like told that they were less than and whatever. And then they come back to a family that they don't know and a language they don't know. And like, you know, I just... Yeah, it's really, it's horrible. And, and still so like that trauma is like, just super present in all of those tribes today. Still, it's crazy. Yeah. And to think about what's happening at the US-Mexico border. um, Yeah. It's in that context. I know. Yeah, because people kept were like, Oh, my God, we don't do this. And I I was kind of like, actually, we've been doing this forever. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, people who were slaves in the early colonial days were separated from their children all the time. Then we did this, and now it's at the Mexico border. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like um, it's it's been like a way that the U.S. handles inconvenient people for a very long time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that has a lasting impact on people. You can sort of trace trace the history through like this intergenerational trauma and the fact that Callie and Sisk brought that up, I thought was just so, so poignant and helps put like this whole Shasta Dam story in, in a bigger context. So Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Something that struck me while I talked to people on run for salmon was what an inspiration Sisk is to younger women and people and also activists outside the tribe. Um, two women in their twenties organized run for salmon and often talked about how inspired they are by her I interviewed one of them, Niria Alicia, during the last two days of Run for Salmon. We were sitting on a houseboat that the tribe used to ferry people upriver for this part of the event. And we were parked at a muddy boat launch in an upper stretch of Shasta Reservoir. This stretch is a finger of the lake that used to be the McLeod River. Before the dam, salmon spawned here, but now there aren't any salmon. It's still a beautiful and striking landscape, though it looks a lot different before the ecosystem changed. The shores on either side of the lake are a light rust-colored dirt and um, and rock that sort of slope up in some places too, ste- too steep to scramble up. And there's a county road following the rim at the top of the slope and dark pine trees grow thick between the river and the sky. And in the background of my conversation with Alicia, you can hear a lot of commotion. That's because people are shuffling in and out of the houseboat and kayaks and traditional dugout canoes. And there were a handful of miles left to the campground where the final ceremony would happen. And at one point, Colleen Sisk was standing on the shore and calling for more volunteers to fill the canoes. And Alicia chimes in to find someone to help paddle. She's like, everybody has to get out until the dugouts are filled. Uh, not right now. 
Does anybody want to get on a green kayak? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> but do they really, really need it? It's just one if someone wants to get on. Yeah. Okay, we got we got a paddler. As you can hear, it's a hectic scene. So here's some of my interview with Alicia. She is 26 years old and from Talent, Oregon. Hello, my name is Nidia Alicia. I am born and raised in the Tacoma Valley, also known as Jackson County. And I grew up in a small community, small farm worker community in Talent, Oregon. And I am first generation Chicana. Alicia tells me she was a student at the University of Oregon when she first came to know CISC. CISC came to the school for an environmental justice conference. And after that, she invited Alicia to participate in a Winnenham ceremony. I was able to see uh, her and how she moves through this world, both outside, outside of her tribe and outside of her territory in political spaces and activist spaces and how how she moves through the world when she's with her tribe and at her sacred sites and in her ceremony. And I was deeply moved and inspired by how she is just very grounded and rooted in who she is no matter where she goes. And uh, she asked me to support her with the planning of of Run for Salmon, uh, to which I couldn't absolutely say no. Um, I had just graduated college and didn't really have uh, a sense of direction necessarily. I was going to go think about it. And she emails me. She's like, hey, can you help me with this thing? And I was like, I don't know what this thing is, but you ne- you never have bad ideas. So yes. When I asked Alicia more about her past experience in grassroots organizing and her interests and motivations, she said it all starts with her family's experience in Southern Oregon. And a heads up, there's a lot of yelling in the background of the part of this. <laughs> I mean, it all starts with within my life, you know. I grew up in a farm worker community. My mom was uh, mixed status for a lot of years. Uh, my, you know, my family is mixed status, so I grew I grew up just understanding in my day to day life the the inequality, the inequality and injustice is a very it's very present. Just my whole life, you're very aware of that, especially being. For me, a first-generation young woman of Mexican ancestry living in a town where it's 88% white folks and you get in trouble in classrooms for speaking Spanish or speaking your language and um, your mom's trying to raise you traditional and trying to raise you to follow her protocol that her grandmother taught you, but then Western medicine totally invalidates what your mother is telling you. Yeah, so I mean, a a lot of my advocacy work was is very much and was and still is very much with my own personal family dealing with um, different forms of you know as a kid I'd oftentimes had to advocate for my mother when she in simple little things where she like we walk into a restaurant and they serve other people before they serve us and having to speak up and be like we were here first or at doctor visits or uh, when she's working in the fields and they're not trying to pay you know wage theft discrimination uh, exposure to pe- illegal exposure to pesticides like just there's so many things that our communities face that it's just like it's been my life long there's never I don't think there's ever been a time where I've been like oh things are fine and I'm I don't have to advocate for 
for folks to respect our, dig our human dignity. That afternoon, we motored up the McLeod Finger of Shasta Reservoir with 10 or so kayaks and dugout canoes sliding along ahead of us. And after interviewing Alicia, I spoke to another person on Run for Salmon who was also drawing comparisons between his childhood experience and the plight of the women in Wintu, but in a completely different way. His name was Blake Watson, and Watson grew up just north of San Francisco in Santa Rosa. As part of our conversation, I asked him his heritage. I'm German, Scottish, Irish, um, Scandinavian, and Danish. And which part of Run for Salmon he'd participated in so far? I did about maybe five miles of bicycle one day. I did just a mile and a half of running in jeans on 105 degree weather one day. And today is my third day of actual running for salmon on a boat doing, you know, the first half of today, which I don't even know how far we went today. And I asked him about what the most interesting part of Run for Salmon was for him. Yeah, one of the most impactful things for me about on this journey of Run for Salmon is really coming in kind of the closest contact I've ever come to with the real history of Native Americans in California. And I've only in the last couple of years become aware of the extreme amounts of genocide on this, this particular section of North America. It just blows my mind that, you know, it, it impacts me because I went to school here and I thought I learned about the history of California and I've seen monuments all over the place but they weren't they were the, the portions about the genocide of the Native American Indians here were just erased like the witness tree along the run for salmon um, bicycle portion has a plaque that says witness tree but it doesn't say anything about what that was used for. Watson's talking about a tree somewhere on a road north of Chico that they biked along during the run for salmon a few days earlier oak tree right in the middle of the road and they made the pavement go around the road and preserve the tree and they put up a big plaque and it says witness tree on it and it doesn't say anything about how it was used for hanging Indians. What's mind-boggling about this whole situation is just how important Shasta Lake is to the statewide water system. It's California's largest reservoir. The federally run Central Valley project depends on Shasta Dam and the lake behind it to provide drinking water for millions of Californians, not to mention flood control, hydroelectricity the dam produces, and for agriculture. Shasta Dam is a key element for how farms in the Central Valley, one of the nation's most productive regions, get their water. The Bureau of Reclamation is hoping to heighten the dam another 18 and a half feet and the agency's regional manager told me recently they have begun taking core samples at the dam as part of the pre-construction phase, testing its strength. The project is expected to cost $1.4 billion, and so far $20 million has been allocated. Where the rest of the money would come from is not clear. One coalition of water districts that serve Silicon Valley and some of Central Valley agriculture districts um, indicated earlier this year that they would consider being a cost-sharing partner, though nothing is set in stone. The Bureau of Reclamation is hoping to have a contract firmly in place by the end of next year. Other than where the funding would come from, another unanswered question is whether there will be enough water to fill the additional space in the reservoir. It's expected to make room for another 650,000 acre feet of water, but some experts worry about drought and climate change that's messing with what would otherwise be reliable water supply coming from mountain snowpack. So the, the footsteps you're listening to are from the end of Run for Salmon. Since the reservoir is not at its fullest, cracked, muddy banks were exposed. 
On September 30th, participants of Run for Salmon made their way the last couple of miles to the McLeod Bridge campground. Sisk says that the Forest Service land was once her great-grandfather's before it became the public campground it is today. She told me she's not just following the footsteps of being the Winnenham spiritual leader after her great-grandfather and then grandmother were. She's also got something else in the works. Right now I'm also campaigning uh, for a state assembly and I really do want to win that. Uh, I would be the first uh, Native American uh, chief to win an office like that and I feel like I could do so much more for Run for Salmon if I were influential in the House, in state government systems, that we could write bills to make some big changes in how we treat water. Thank you so much for bringing this story to range. I feel like it's a perfect story for us and it's super interesting and it's something I had no idea was happening. Um, so that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Oh, there was one thing. Yeah, thanks. For yeah, the- there was one thing I wanted to ask you too that um, in one of the quotes, uh, I can't remember who it was, maybe Gould said that this was the third year of four. So are they only planning to do the run for salmon for four years or? Um, are they going to continue doing it every year? Yeah, so they, it came to them, it came to her kind of in a vision and they committed to four years. She wants it to c- continue beyond four years, but she doesn't want to be the person who's as much involved in organizing. Like if the two young women or other people yeah. uh, take t- take it on fully, then then it could continue okay, on. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for um, bringing it to us and for going out and getting so much good audio and so many different sides to the story. I think it's it's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for taking it. Range is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our music is by David Whited. Original illustrations are drawn for each episode by James Guthman. As always, please send a note with any ideas or feedback you have on these episodes to howdy at rangepodcast.org. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.